Amen, Lord, it's true, you reign. You're the same yesterday, today and forever. No situation is beyond your great God. And thank you that you're God who speaks to us. So as we open your word together now, we pray you come, speak, we ask, and we ask this in your name, amen. Please be seated, church. We are really blessed to have Reverend Neil Bernard coming to share with us. And Neil is such a blessing to us as a church. He leads our Inspire service, um, helps us with some pastoral care as well. And um, Neil is a particular blessing to us on this Sunday because every year for many years now, he has come and blessed us as a team by speaking because we're all busy running around and a little bit weary, some of us this morning as well, but joy-filled even though um, we've been working hard this week. And so Neil comes. He's been doing this service for us going way back, before it was lights, back when it was carols in the park, and this is your 28... 28 years. 28th year. So give Neil a big welcome as he comes to share with us again Sunday. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. I have one question this morning. Who let out those camels? <laughs> You're like me. I watched it on television. I'm thinking, no, oh, there's something else. There's a hidden agenda here somewhere for sure. Jesus, it was Jesus. There we are. No hidden agenda was Jesus. I thought maybe those camels had seen the lions get out of Taronga Zoo a few weeks ago and thought, hey, we want a bit of that action as well. We want a bit of freedom. This morning, Jesus, I am the light of the world from John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf and your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I've come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. And then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I'm not sure whether you've played the game Capture the Flag or Spotlight. It happens at night time. You set somebody up with a torch uh, in an open area and everybody else has to hide behind buildings or posts or behind bushes. And then you gradually creep up to this person before they shine the torch in your face. And if they do, if they shine the torch in your face, right, then you're out. You can't play the rest of the game. But if you can, you can creep up close to them and perhaps they have a flag next to them. You grab the flag or you touch them on the shoulder and then you become the person with the torch. So that's the game, spotlight or capture the flag. When I was at the Bible school, we invited a couple of youth groups over onto the property on a Saturday, play some games with them in the afternoon, have a barbecue dinner. And then we decided we would play this game at night. So we met in the main lounge together about 7.30 and we went through the rules of the game, right? This is the person with the torch, they're gonna be on top of the hill. If you get spotted with a torch, then you're out. Your aim is to get up to the person without them, their light shining on you. And then, I thought I made it really clear, the game finishes at nine o'clock. Because at nine o'clock we're having supper and the parents are coming to pick up their kids at 10 o'clock. 
I thought it was really clear. So we played the game, finished at nine o'clock and we all gathered back in the main lounge for some supper. And about 9.30, somebody came up to me and said, Neil, have you seen James? James isn't here. Oh, we better go and have a look for James. So we all headed out on the property and we found James. I think he was about 13, 14 years of age. He was actually sitting in a bush, not hiding behind it, but sitting in a bush. And he'd sat there for the previous two hours. Now, I don't know whether my instructions weren't clear or not. Or he said, James, James, you've got to come out. Right, we're having supper and your parents are going to come and pick you up. And I thought to myself afterwards, I thought, how long would James have sat in that bush in the dark? It was getting cold in barrel and just thinking, this is the game. I just sit in the bush in the dark, right? And that's it. Not sure. But anyway, we did find him before his parents came, which was good. Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, is one of seven I am statements in the gospel according to John. And these statements are not just glib sayings. It's not just a statement that Jesus makes of himself to be passed over. But each one of those statements, I'm the door, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the true vine, I could go on. Each one of those statements is a powerful statement of who Jesus is but also not only revealing who Jesus is, but what we are not and our need for a relationship with Him if our life is to have purpose, meaning and significance. The circumstances in which Jesus spoke these words, I am the light of the world, are impressive. It was the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, it's difficult for us to perhaps make some comparison because we're not a culture that has a lot of feasts or a lot of festivals. Some cultures do. I have some friends who are from Nepal or from India and they seem to have a festival every month. In fact, there was a festival not long ago which was a new clothes festival. And so everybody has to go out on this day and buy a new outfit, a new set of clothes. And then you kind of go around and parade it to everybody else. In fact, the Hindu, they had uh, a festival recently, a Diwali festival on November the 12th, the five-day festival of light. We're similar to us with Christmas lights. They put lights up all around their home and they bring out the candles. They have special food, a real family time together where if you're a child, you go back to your parents' house of where you grow up and you celebrate this festival together. We're not really like that, are we? We, we have Christmas and we have Easter, but we don't have ongoing festivals like in some cultures. In fact, I think of Christmas, of this huge build-up. I think every day for the last six weeks, I've heard it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, it'll soon be here, won't it? Weeks of build-up. And then if you're like me, it comes to Boxing Day and it's like, well, that's it. We can all kind of, you know, space out for the next few days. Perhaps the closest thing to this Feast of the Tabernacles that we have is, the, is Christmas. There's this great build-up of celebrating food. But in this feast, the Feast of the Tabernacle here, the last day has arrived. 
Jerusalem is a buzz with people. Normally, perhaps 60,000 people living in Jerusalem, the time of Jesus. Some commentators say now the population has swelled 10 times. So it's about 600,000. That's an enormous amount of people. And they're here to celebrate that feast. Some had come seven weeks earlier to celebrate the Passover. They'd stayed on for the Feast of the Tabernacles. They'd come from countries all around and now they were preparing to go home. But on this very last night, you imagine the excitement of being building for the last seven days. Jesus stands up and makes a powerful statement. I am the light of the world. At this time, they would light two huge gold lampstands on tall freestanding pillars. So much light, they said, that it would light up all of the temple precincts. It was like a beacon. So if you're on one of the surrounding hills around Jerusalem and you look down, you could see this light. The narrow streets that would normally be dark, no electricity, of course, in those days, but people would go out and buy more candles and they say these streets would be lit up also. And in this warm autumn night, Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world. Now to a Jew that has incredible significance more than perhaps what we would take just on a simple reading. Because to a Jew, you would associate God with light. Genesis chapter one, verse three. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 60, verse 20, the Lord shall be your everlasting light. Micah 7, 8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light to me. To a Jew, God was the one who brought light into existence. God is my light. God is an everlasting light. And God is light in the darkness. In fact, even the rabbis declared that when the Messiah comes, one of the names he will be given is the light. So Jesus making this statement, I am the light of the world, Jesus is declaring of himself that he is God. To believe that God is the creator, sustainer and ruler of the world and hear Jesus make this statement means this, Jesus is not only the light of everything that we see but everything that is beyond everything that we see. Jesus is the light of the whole universe the light of it all. And so for Jesus to say, I am the light of the world, he is declaring the nature of God, the meaning of life and our destiny. The nature of God, Jesus is the very nature of God. Hebrews chapter one, he is, is the exact imprint of God's very being. In the time of Jesus, people had questions about life the same as you and I do, the same as it is today. People wanted to know, how can God be truly known? Are we God's friends or enemies? How does God look on me? With love 
or some kind of disdain. Life is really tough sometimes. There is pain, there is suffering. And where is God in the midst of that? Now, each one of those is a legitimate question. We shouldn't be afraid to ask at all. These questions have been asked, for, asked of God for centuries. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament which highlights this in Judges chapter 13. A man, Manoah by name, and his wife were visited by an angel from God and promised a son. That son would grow up to be Samson. But the two were uncertain of God's intentions and they became fearful. The man figured that since God had visited them, he was displeased with them and that they would surely die. But his wife had the opposite view. She said, if we were meant to die, then why would God promise us a son? Surely he has looked upon us with kindness. So here we have just a simple couple desperately trying to find out God's intentions for them. Isn't that the same today? The recent NCL survey says 55% of Australians believe God. There is a creator of the universe, there is a supreme being. Those in Australia who regard themselves as Christians, 44%. A reduction, by the way, of 52% five years ago. The question was asked in the survey, how important is it to have God in your life? 40% responded positively, but of the other 60%, there were comments like, God seems to be too powerless, too problematic or too irrelevant. These same questions were asked in the time of Jesus in a different way, but similar in, what they, in the way that they were asked. In the time of Jesus, people would hear the howling wind at night and they would think to themselves that they were devils crying out, that they would see the clouds pass over the moon and they would say that that is the devils also prowling the night sky. In fact, some people would say in the time of Jesus that when they were sick, it's because evil had come upon their lives. And here we are celebrating a feast which is talking about God's faithfulness. God had been faithful to the children of Israel during those 40 years when they lived in tents, lived in tabernacles and how God can be trusted today and that God is light. So for the Jew, that would bring great comfort in this world that they see evil and darkness around them, that God is light and He is one who can be trusted. He is one who can dispel all darkness. Contrast all of their fears with what John writes in 1 John 1.5, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now, now to know that to be true in and of ourselves, that brings relief, hope and certainty. It should free us of all of our fears that there is one who is greater than all darkness. There is one 
in whom there is no darkness of all at all. Great is thy faithfulness, there is no shadow of turning with thee. We may still hear the howling at night, but we're not to be afraid or fearful. We may still see those spooky clouds cover the face of the moon, but we're not to be afraid or fearful. God is not a cold, nameless, uncaring, dreaded unknown, but a radiant being whose name is love and whose kingdom is light and who can be known, loved and worshipped. Think for a moment, apart from Jesus, we would not know that. Apart from Jesus, we would still remain captive to darkness. Apart from Jesus, fear would still grip our lives. But in Jesus, we can come to know God and come to know His light in our lives. If while we were enemies, God reconciled us to Himself by the death of His Son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by His light? No one else can pour His light into your life. No one else can dispel the dark places in your life. No one else but Jesus. He shines the light of His life within us, constantly working within us, doing His good work within us to eliminate all darkness. No more having to cover a lie with another lie. No more having to be dishonest to family and friends, the ones that we love the most. All His ways are good. He has made our eternal welfare His whole endeavour. Jesus reveals the nature of God. But Jesus also, as the light of the world, brings meaning to our lives. One of the guys that I meet up regularly when I go up the Sunshine Coast is Ivan Bowden. Some of you might know of him. And a couple of years ago, we were sitting on a bench together and he turned to me and he said these words, Neil, life is simple and life is complex. Isn't that true? Life is simple. We get up in the morning, we go to work, we eat, we sleep, we go to sleep again. But life is also complex. There's questions that you and I ask perhaps and it would seem as if there is no answer. Why is this happening to me? Why does it seem that I seem to confront challenge again and again and again with other people seem to have life so easy? It's true, we don't have all the answers when it comes to pain and suffering. We are just simple beings trying to understand this alpha and omega, the first and the last. But it's because of Jesus, the light of the world, that we're able to enter in to a world where we're able to see God at work. We're able to see a different aspect to life, beyond the seen, beyond the material, beyond the physical. The light of Jesus enables us to see life from a different perspective from those who do not know Him. And I was thinking this week, that light, that light shines the most from the cross. In the cross, we see that the life of all of life 
can be reduced to just two realities, absolute righteousness, absolute love. God is righteous. He is right in Himself and every action that He does is right. There on the cross, we see the absolute love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loves us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't it true that somehow we've got to hold these two and bring them together in one. God is absolute righteousness and God is absolute love. They're blended in one person, is judgment and mercy. God judges to uphold his righteousness, but God also loves, he's compassionate to forgive, his mercies are new every morning. And it seems to me as if these two threads run throughout all of scripture. But before there is judgment, there is always mercy. God is always merciful first. It's true, I read the Old Testament. God is harsh sometimes. God is tender. God is severe, but he's also kind. There is the tragic but there's also the glorious. And I can't explain it, but somehow these two come together in the one person. Inseparable for his holiness demands it. This righteousness of God and this love of God are to be embraced and appreciated and are to be the environment in which we live. I'm sure like me, events of the past few days, we crave for a God who judges evil, who says that is not right and I will judge it. We don't want a God who excuses evil. Oh, just go ahead and do whatever you want, it's all right. No, we want a God that says evil is to be judged and evil is to be punished. We see that in God and we see that in God and what he does for us. God suffers for us by the hand of his own judgment that we might be released of our sin and enter into and enjoy his great love. His love is demonstrated for us in Christ's death on the cross that our only response can be to trust in Him wholly. He is trustworthy. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Jesus reveals the very nature of God, but Jesus also, as light of the world, brings meaning to our lives. And Jesus, as light of the world, also shows us our destiny. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Five times in the book of Revelation, the word dwelt, God dwelling with His people is mentioned. And every time it talks about a permanent dwelling. This world to God is not like an Airbnb, He comes and then He departs. When God comes to us, He comes to live permanently. As one commentator says, God has moved into our neighbourhood. 
And Jesus becoming flesh means that our future is wrapped up in Him. The humanity of Jesus is real and permanent. When the Word became flesh, He became flesh for eternity. Sure, he now has a different type of flesh than he had when he walked on this earth, but still a flesh. Jesus Christ is still a man in heaven. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. When Jesus became flesh, it wasn't like he took on a coat. Oh, I've got to wear this thing while here I am here on earth. And as soon as I send into the Father's presence, I can take it off and go, there, it's done with. I can go back to how I was being before. When Jesus became flesh, He became flesh for you and for me for all time. That's His commitment to you and to me. To be a man, for eternity. Sure, he is as we are without sin, yet he did it for our sakes. The God-man put to death on a cross, the God-man buried, the God-man raised, the God-man ascended on high, and it will be the God-man who returns. So the future of humanity is joined with the humanity of Christ and the future of Christ in Christ. In Christ, God has joined Himself with us and our humanity is joined with Him permanently. And the promise is given for those who are in Him, who belong to Him, our future is secure. It's a glorious future. This suffering that we now endure here on earth is nothing compared with the weight of glory that will be ours one day. Jesus, the light of the world. He reveals the nature of God, He shows us the meaning of life and He shows us also what our destiny is in Him. But if I'm to stop there, it would sound like perhaps that I'm preaching universalism, that everybody ends up being saved in the end. But that's not what Jesus says. In verse 12, he also says this, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In Christ, in Christ alone, we see the nature of God. We see that our lives can have meaning, purpose and significance. And we can have the hope that our destiny is assured because he is still a man. So that means for you and for me, what do we do? Verse 12, to walk in the light of life, to trust him today, trust Jesus tomorrow, Trust Jesus the day after. We may not have all the answers to our questions, but Jesus says, trust, trust in me, the author and finisher of your faith. We live surrendering our lives every day, allowing his spirit to live in us and through us that a watching and waiting world might see in an even greater measure 
Jesus, the light of the world. We pray together. Lord, what a joy to know you. What a joy to know that our lives in you can have meaning and purpose and significance. And I'm sure every person's heart here today, Lord, is that your light might shine in us and through us in an even greater measure than it has before. That those who don't know you will see in us, Jesus, the light of the world. We pray in your name, amen. This morning, and that was a word God gave us, in fact, even before light, so lots of people are gonna come and they will discover that Jesus is the light of the world. And so it's been this word that God has given us through this season. If you're here this morning, just those words that God stepping down into flesh, revealing that he is committed to us, that he is with us, even in this the, the difficulties and the trials of this life, He is near in that as He comes and shines His light to He reveals to us things in our life. He, he wants to help us and to put right with Him so that we can know the fullness of joy of relationship with Him, His blessing being poured out in our lives. And so we're going to respond in worship. Why don't we stand together as we do that, sing our final song this morning and just respond in our hearts to Him this morning. As always, our prayer team down the front. If you have any prayer need, we'd love to pray for you as well. This morning, you feel free to do that, but let's worship Him together as we conclude our service.
Let's thank Him, church. Let's put our hands together as we give thanks. Great God, we thank You this morning. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself, that You've drawn so near. This is the message of Christmas. A God who loves us has stepped into our world, not just for a moment, Lord, but to identify with us for eternity, Lord, and to make a way for us to be in relationship with You. Thank You, Lord, for this best news of all. And thank You, Lord, that in You, everything works out well in the end, Lord, in You, Jesus. And so we thank You for these truths. Bless this week, we pray. Bless each one here this morning in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, some of our prayer team will be down the front. If you're new this morning, our Connections Lounge is up the back there. We'd love to meet you, help you to connect in with others. If you're online too, we'd love to connect with you via hello at bridgman.org.au. But God bless you. We look forward to sharing with you at our Christmas services as well this week. God bless.